On today's episode, we'll be discussing environmental politics and the power dynamics that affect our environment, as well as the role that climate change plays in our world today. As always, he's Jordan, I'm Braden, and together we are the Realist Idealists, and this is Power View. Now, for the sake of time, we won't be doing any kind of in-depth science lesson on the environment and how all of our different ecosystems work together, but if you are looking for that type of information, there is plenty of information out there on how our environment works to sustain life. For this episode, as we mentioned in our intro, we will be focusing mainly on the political factors that shape how we impact our environment. With that being said, we will still be covering some basic aspects to give you a bit of an understanding of how our ecosystems work and our place as humans within it. Environmental pollution can come from many natural and man-made sources. Throughout the history of the Earth, there have been extinction events triggered by sudden and extreme climate change, usually initiated by a catastrophic natural disaster. However, climate change can also be triggered by artificial means as well. Currently, the rate of resource consumption and the excess of pollution put into the environment as a result of it has accelerated a potential mass extinction event driven by rapid climate change. Some of the artificial environmental pollutants that attribute to this are many, CO2 and methane gas being the most prominent in the atmosphere. However, there are many others such as phosphorus runoff, which can create blue-green algae and red tide both of which can be produced from excess agricultural fertilizer and untreated human sewage. Another major contributor would be the textile and dye production industry, especially in less developed countries where environmental policies are limited or not practiced at all. Last but not least would be the plastic pollution problem on land and namely in the oceans, caused by by a throwaway economy and lifestyle in modern human society. These pollutants can all come in many forms and are found in every known biosphere on Earth. For instance, carbon as we know is the most dangerous in its gas state as we burn it for an energy source. However, it is volatile as the environment in its liquid state as well. Crude oil spills and uncontrolled natural gas burnings also play a major role in human-driven climate change. So what do we mean when we say climate change? Well, the David Suzuki Foundation states that climate change occurs when long-term weather patterns are altered, for example, through human activity. Global warming is one measure of climate change and is the rise in the average global temperature. It is a natural phenomena for the Earth's atmosphere to have a natural greenhouse effect. This is actually a key factor for allowing life on our planet to exist as it acts as an insulation for our planet. Without that insulation, all of the warmth we receive from the sun would escape entirely from our planet. The most important of these gases in our atmosphere that allows for this greenhouse effect is CO2, carbon dioxide. Without it, life on our planet wouldn't exist. The issue comes when the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere increases to a point where it traps too much sunlight causing our planet to heat up more than it should to sustain the environment. 
This is when climate change occurs. Which brings us to the carbon cycle. And it's one of the driving forces for life on our planet. And a lot, all living things are connected to it. The process of carbon storage helps maintain and regulate the planet's climate systems, allowing for vast biodiversity. Carbon is released through organisms as well as environmental features, such as volcanoes and natural grass reservoirs. It is then recaptured into the environment and stored in either living organisms, such as plants that breathe carbon dioxide, or broken down into sediments and eventually stored in, as ocean bedrock or soil carbon deep in the earth. What the carbon cycle teaches us about pollution and climate change is that we are taking out more from the what what we are taking out from the earth is not being captured in the environment in a stable state. As we know, the vast majority of our carbon is stored deep within the planet. The oceans and plants are some of the key ways our planet is able to use, utilize carbon storage for its benefit. And in an ideal situation, the amount of carbon that is released into the atmosphere is relative to that that is required for the intake of life on our planet. However, at the rate we are producing carbon, along with the destruction of parts of the environment that are able to store carbon, our planet is not able to capture carbon fast enough to keep up with the demand. This excess carbon eventually finds its way to be stored in our atmospheres and oceans, causing the greenhouse effect, which we spoke of earlier. The long-term effects of which can alter the natural order of the planet's climate cycles, potentially even permanently. So what does environmental politics encompass? Well, environmental politics refers to the decisions made on an international and domestic level in regards to how we affect the environment at a governmental level. This is both our impact on climate change as well as our direct impact on our local environments. Over the long history of our planet, there have been many cycles of climate change that have occurred. Everything from the gradual increase of temperature of our sun, which all stars go through, to asteroids impacting, impacting the Earth's surface, to super volcanoes erupting, blanketing the skies with smoke, ash, and even parts of the Earth. However, since these factors are often out of our control, our focus is and should be on the factors that we as humans contribute to. The rate at which human civilizations have been extracting and consuming resources, especially since the dawn of the industrial era, have been one of the quickest environmental epochs in the history of our planet. So, in acknowledging that, what's being done? First, we are going to look at things on a governmental level, both internationally and domestically. There are many climate initiatives that have been, been introduced on the international stage over the years. Though they are working to update things, most recently in 2016, the Paris Agreement was signed through the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. The agreement was signed by 197 countries to work towards minimizing the amount of greenhouse gases emitted into the Earth's atmosphere. The progress is reviewed every five years, which currently in Copenhagen, they are doing that. It sets out the target of limiting global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial levels of 1750. 
This may not seem like a lot. However, in 1880, the average global temperature was negative 0.09 degrees Celsius. And fast forward to 2019, the global average temperature is 0.98 degrees Celsius, which is basically a degree warmer over the course of a century. It is important to note that the agreement is non-legally binding, meaning that this is completely voluntary and allows for each individual nation to be responsible for curbing their contributions to greenhouse gases and pollution as they see fit. On a more local level, governments use economic policies to influence environmental policies. This usually comes in the form of taxes or government incentives. In the case of taxes, we have seen in recent years governments impose carbon taxes on everyday items that individuals use, like gasoline, as well as cap-and-trade programs for, for the pollutants that businesses produce. The goal of these programs, if used correctly, is to discourage society from using things like fossil fuels as their energy source and taking the funds earned through those taxes and using them to subsidize the creation of renewable resource technologies. Once these renewable resource technologies are on the market, governments can implement incentives for consumers to, and businesses to purchase these forms of technologies. These incentives come in the form of tax rebates or sometimes reimbursements. Another direct example of some national governments of how some national governments are trying to take broad action on climate change can be seen with nationally funded programs such as the municipalities such as the municipalities for climate change innovation program which is a program run by the federal government in Canada to support and fund over 600 individual municipalities to help them adapt and adopt green technologies and programs as well as helping to reduce carbon emissions and building newer and greener public buildings other examples such as regional outreach and volunteer programs funded by provincial governments, such as watershed management programs, uh, reintroduction of native species to the local ecology, and pollution cleanup events in specific communities or areas. Funding for climate disaster relief and preparation is a major platform for political parties. One example would be the formation of DEMPF, or Disaster Mitigation and Adaption Fund. It's a national merit-based program that invests $2 billion federal dollars to support large-scale infrastructure projects to help communities better manage the risk disasters triggered by natural hazards. These programs are a few of how one government is taking broad actions to help combat climate change. But on a more local and individual level, we are starting to see more conscious consumerism on the part of the general public. It has become far more vocal in their, their decisions when it comes to consumer products. We see that already with grocery stores and reusable shopping bags. Um, other things is environmentally safe cleaning of products to have around children. Um, another one is sustainable agriculture, which would help to reduce emissions from the reduction of cattle pastures. But also we want to look at corporate responsibility. And what have they done and where have they failed? Mostly we'll start with what have they done? And it's as much as there will be a long way off from being responsible to our environment, we must admit there have been steps taken in the corporate world to reduce our effect on the environment. 
We've seen companies start to move into the promotion of environmentally sustainable products, such as coffee pods that are biodegradable, fast food companies switching from plastic straws, and car manufacturing companies switching to electric vehicles. We've seen, we've seen more and more businesses move towards solar and as an electrical source. As for the drawbacks on the corporate end, the failure of governments and international institutions like the United Nations to hold companies accountable for environmental mistreatment and mismanagement is almost non-existent. The Exxon Valdez oil spill is one example. It cost the company $7 billion for the disaster and avoided any severe punishment. The coastline affected was roughly, roughly up to 1,300 miles, and the spill has still caused damage to this day. And Exxon has been allowed to continue to make profits far exceeding what they have contributed to help restore the damage they've done. Another similar case in more recent times was the BP rig explosion in the Mexican Gulf. There was a, there was a cleanup cost ensued, but no one was personally charged, or no one was made, no one was held responsible. And according to scientists at the Florida State University, regulatory practices for drilling in the Gulf are no better today than they were a decade ago when the disaster happened. And unfortunately, a decade later, scientists are still trying to fully understand the full effect on the ecosystem it had and the local ecology. These are a few examples of corporate failure and responsibility that are among thousands all around the world. All around the world. Corporations have failed more than they have succeeded in passing and enforcing environmental regulations, or even taking responsibility for the damage they've done. Knowing the crisis is one that will affect humanity everywhere in the world, it is obvious that there is not enough accountability for, for corporate environmental destruction from international and government institutions. Now looking at green technologies, some industries have formed out of a necessity either as a response to climate change or as a response to finite resources. In the case of the latter, some of them are ultimately, ultimately inevitable. For instance, the auto industry, which has been built around petroleum-based combustion engines, resources such as petroleum are limited and take millions of years to replenish themselves. In the auto industry, we've seen prototype solar cars as early as 1955. This type of example, though, can be argued as an inevitable course of technological evolution due to resource availability. Certain green technologies and industries can be created directly as a response to climate change. Tesla Motors can be argued as an example of this, but there's many others. Another less heard of example of green technologies born out of a response to climate change is vertical farming, which uses no soil and 95% less water. This is helpful to ecosystems that have been destroyed for farmland to recover and restore ecological balance. They've, there's also examples of a battery developed by scientists at the University of Surrey in BC, a technology called the Very High Energy Density Supercapacitor, which is capable of being a thousand to ten times or ten thousand times more powerful than existing electric vehicle batteries. These capacitors can also be charged in minutes, unlike current electric vehicle batteries, which take hours. So with all that being said, what's holding us back? One of the biggest things holding us back, in our opinion, is that environmental politics is still, as the name suggests, 
remains political. Depending on who is in power of government, regulations on industries can be either increased or rolled back. The science around climate and the impact of humans on our environment is politicized rather than simply looking at the situation at face value to try and understand what needs to be done. We also still have the mindset that the environment and the economy needs to be at odds with each other, that regulations to help promote safety and sustainability within the, the environment can only come at the expense of the economy flourishing. Often when it comes to the vast majority of environmental concerns, no one is held accountable. Our current situation is often somewhat vague on who should hold businesses or governments accountable when it comes to the regulating of how we treat the environment. Included with this is the fact that from state to state and nation to nation, laws differ on what is acceptable. Another aspect that has made things difficult is that most environmental policies are relatively voluntary, as seen in the Paris Agreement and many other policies at both the international and local levels, Governments and individuals can cherry-pick which policies and, or programs they wish to integrate into their society. Not to mention, you can have nations like the United States, who's one of the biggest powerhouses in terms of economy, who can simply just choose to opt out of the international process. Even when things are working well, there are still many factors that hold us back. Market capitalism makes it a slow process to have green technologies widely accessible. As much as we may have subsidies that support the creation of green technologies, it still takes many early adopters before prices are at a rate that technologies are utilized across society. There is also something called the rebound effect that is sometimes lost when introducing environmental environmentally friendly products. These are negative effects that can occur when having more energy efficient technologies that still use energy sources that contribute to pollution. The way it works is you take something that requires energy and make it more efficient, like say a car. This in the long run makes the product cheaper to own, which leads to the potential for more people purchasing that product that otherwise wouldn't have been able to access it in the first place. This has a compounding effect where even though the product uses less energy than before, it still remains an environmental problem because more people are gaining access to it. It also technically can have a negative effect on the environment by allowing anyone who owns this energy efficient cost saving product to have more money to spend on other things that contribute to pollution that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to purchase. This can even be something like taking a trip. Arguably, the most important reason for what's holding us back when it comes to environmental politics is the fact that globally and even locally, we still don't act in a way that acknowledges that we live in an environment that we share with everyone on this planet. It is this key factor that shapes every decision we make. When we choose to promote the economy over the environment or ignore scientific research or whatever it may be that we choose over the environment, 
We do this because we have disassociated ourselves from what connects us to this planet. So where do we go from here? Over the years, we've seen a push for more eco-friendly products and means of production. However, it is clear to see that we still haven't done enough to achieve a sense of stability with our planet. So where do we go from here? First and foremost, in our opinion, is that we need to come to terms with our situation. For too long, we have politicized the effects that humans have on our climate and environment. No longer can we stand by and allow social and special interests to take precedent over sustainability of the environment. Of course, this is not to say that we all wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden we no longer use fossil fuels to power our society, but it should be our goal to get to that point as soon as possible. We have allowed big businesses to control the narrative with corporations being able to sway policies to reduce environmental regulations and subsidies provided to the fossil fuel industry. If governments do what is right for the sustainability of our planet, rather than what gets them the most donor money or ensure that they get votes, we will see a massive difference in how we impact the environment and how our effect is on climate change. But governments are not the only ones who need to step it up. Businesses have an obligation as well to introduce the change needed when it comes to our environmental practices. No government has ever stopped a company from making positive changes to the way they do things when it comes to their impact on the environment. More major retailers could choose to hold manufacturers accountable for their carbon footprints by imposing criteria that have to be met in order for their products to be sold. Businesses could do this and work towards reducing waste. For example, at one of the jobs I worked, they would package non-perishable goods like expansion valves made out of steel in multiple layers of heavy vacuum sealed plastic. We would receive and sell hundreds of these a month. And this is just one example among thousands of businesses where this kind of extremely wasteful and environmentally damaging practices can be found. There is a level of individual responsibility that also needs to be universally adopted. Companies and their employees must all agree that these methods of business practices need to be amended immediately and without politicizing the issues. When you boil it all down, both these actors within society are heavily driven by us as consumers. If we are asking our governments to implement regulations and support for green technologies and demanding businesses change their practices, we will see the change happen. If consumers want environmentally sustainable products, then it ends up being great for businesses, both from a consumer perspective, where consumers will want to buy your goods, but also from a good business perspective, where having energy efficient or recycled materials could potentially save you money depending on the industry. If we move away from our throwaway mentality and our demands for the latest thing, we can do our part to curb the impact we are negatively having on our planet. Of course, anything you can do to go and help clean up your communities or learn more about how your community gets their resources and what goes into producing the everyday products you purchase will make a difference. No action towards reducing, reusing, or recycling is too small. But we must never forget to hold governments, businesses, and ourselves accountable. Simply put, we need to wake up to our reality. We live on a planet that is our only home that provides 
our every need, and what are we doing? Destroying it for some money and cheap thrills. We need to take responsibility for our everyday actions and hold others accountable for protecting our planet. We need to realize that we can't outrun the consequences of our childish behaviors, where all we do is ask, what more can this world give us? Once we recognize that there are more important things in life than material luxuries that come at the cost of life on this planet, we will begin to take the steps needed to repent for our errors in judgment. Like all things we discuss on this channel, this is a revolution of the mind that will allow us to heal this planet. Humans are an amazing species of animal. We have the power to destroy, but we also have the power to restore and heal. We won't be able to take back what we have already lost in the multitude of life that has gone extinct through human action, but we can change our future. We can make a future where we aren't just living for today, but rather working on preserving tomorrow. We are but a moment in time relative to the age of the earth and the existence of our species. But if we continue to live like there's no tomorrow, there will be no tomorrow. And the damage we have done one day may be the only legacy left by humanity. That being said, in the immortal words of Tupac, it's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat, let's change the way we live, and let's change the way we treat each other. You see, the old way wasn't working, so it's on us to do what we gotta do to survive. As always, thank you for listening. Hopefully you have learned something new. And as always, we encourage everyone to do their own research and have their own discussions with friends and family, just like we do here. I'm Braden. He's Jordan, and this is PowerView.